Before we start, a quick reminder. This podcast discusses sex, violence, and social oppression. It may be uncomfortable or triggering to some. If you're listening out loud, parts of this narrative may seem sensitive to those around you. It's December 9th, 2004, the eve of Human Rights Day. A newly formed group called Voices Against 377 launches a campaign. Out on the streets of Delhi, in places like Dilli Hath, at demonstrations in Jantar Mantar, and across the country at workshops and public events, passers-by are given a piece of cloth. And they're asked to write something, anything, about sexual rights, diversity, and same-sex desires. All these little pieces of cloth will be sewn together into one quilt. That quilt will represent unity in diversity, space for all kinds of sexual identities. It's called the Million Voices Campaign. The campaign was launched in the aftermath of two events. The central government had responded negatively to the NAS petition, and the Delhi High Court outright dismissed the whole case. These events minimized the struggles of the LGBTQ community and questioned the need for change. And Voices Against 377 wanted to highlight that this was not an issue for just a few people, but for millions. After all, that's why the group had even come into existence. Here's Madhu Mera from Partners for Law and Development, a member organization of Voices. Part of the reason, as we said, was to let the court know that a cross-section of society is concerned about persecution of homosexualities and discrimination in law. But also part of the reason was to tackle the prejudice around the issue, even within the social sector, because we are talking about a time when homosexuality and LGBT was not seen as a human rights issue. From ATS Studio, I'm Sindhuri Nandakumar, and this is 377, a show about an outdated law, its lingering impact, and the movement to get rid of it. In our last episode, we talked about the criticisms received by the NAS Foundation and Lawyers Collective in 2001. This was after they had filed a petition in the Delhi High Court asking for Section 377 of the Indian Penal Code to be read down. Their request was that gay sex be decriminalized in India. But members of the LGBTQI community and various other activists had a few problems with the petition. We had no business because we were not the people who should be taking up 377. Why are you even upsetting the apple cart? Let things go. Our lives carry on. There are many of these other things beyond 377 where we have held different opinions. Oh, it was very wrong to use the HIV argument, to use the health argument. You should have done it using the rights argument. That all of us are not so privileged as to have access to housing. But along the way, something changed. Two major challenges helped unify these smaller groups. Challenge 1, September 2003. It's been nearly two years since the petition was filed. The government finally submits its response to the court. Indian government on Monday told the Delhi High Court that homosexuality cannot be legalized in the country as the society disapproves of such behavior. Now, people weren't expecting the government to come out with gushing support for the petition, but they also didn't expect completely writing off the problem. 
I spoke about it with Jaya Sharma, a member of Voices Against 377. Basically, they said uh, three things in that. One was that 377 protected public safety. Second, that removing it would lead to problematic behavior. And the third thing that they said was that the vast majority of Indians are not concerned about homosexuality. That point struck a chord. This was something that enraged many of us. The government's response helped unite groups of people who had previously been in disagreement. Let's not paint too rosy a picture. There was still plenty of debate. But it was clear that there was a bigger opponent. That when it comes to a legal case, there really are only two sides, for or against. Remember Jyoti Puri, the sociology professor we talked to earlier in the season? She spoke about how important the government's response was for the movement. The response was really, you know, waffling and homophobic. And so having that be the response of the government of India actually brought together various constituencies and groups that had earlier been much more hesitant or ambivalent about the Nas Foundation petition. Challenge 2 comes a year later, September 2004. The Delhi High Court dismisses the Nas Foundation petition, stating that it doesn't have the necessary standing. In legalese, this is called locus standi. It's basically the court's way of asking, who are you to bring this issue to the courts? After all, Nas Foundation hadn't been aggrieved directly by the law. It wasn't itself a gay man at risk of HIV. The court said that this petition was merely an academic challenge. The petition was kicked out of the legal system. Here's Jyoti again. Nas Foundation and Lawyers Collective had to then figure out how to proceed, where to go next. And they took that as the opportunity to open up national level consultations. And so there were at least three meetings that were held at the national level that invited, again, various constituencies and groups to actually partake. At these meetings, there were various discussions about strategies on how to proceed and ideas on how to bolster the case for Nas. And a sense of solidarity emerged from these developments. It was against this backdrop that Voices Against 377 was born. And so there were uh, 12 organizations that came together and five uh, individuals. And it's really important uh, to share here that out of the 12 organizations, nine uh, were not LGBT organizations. It was a coalition of child's rights groups, women's rights activists, LGBTQ groups, public health organizations, and queer individuals. And they didn't stop with their Million Voices campaign with the quilt. They formally entered the legal battle in 2006 as what you would call interveners. Interveners are people or groups who enter a case in support of one of the two parties. As an intervener, Voices could enter evidence for the court's consideration. And they brought a range of testimonies to court talking about the plight of queer people. Their strategy was different to that of Nas. It wasn't just about public health, but it was steeped in a broader language about rights. But with voices coming on board, the challenge to 377 was defined much more broadly and much more intrinsically as a right to life and liberty issue. Apart from voices, there were also a host of other activist groups that joined the fight. This kicked off a range of maneuvers, petitions, and community meetings. Nas and the Lawyers Collective had understood that they weren't going to, and maybe even couldn't, fight this battle alone. And it looked like the community was stepping up. 
first one was on 10th march 2004 okay that is the one that was called by us okay and um, you have that no that wasn't uploaded for some reason so i'll send that to you yes please and then the next one is calcutta which you have yeah yeah that's anand grover founder of the lawyers collective in one of our chats we went through the minutes of the community meetings that were held across india vivek divan who was working with the lawyers collective at the time took these copious notes that are available on the website orinam.net mk raised the concern that incidents spoken of have to be provable na asked how proof can be obtained ax knows a lot of cases where section 377 has been used that we can demonstrate that the police see section 377 as a way of harassing people they said that it would be important to show that section 377 impedes so many aspects of life during these meetings there was a lot of dialogue a lot of questions and back and forths anand and his colleagues explained the rationale behind filing the petition and asked for feedback and help In a sense they had taken the criticism to heart and were trying to make amends and Anand says that slowly people started coming around then they discussed about how they could assist in the petition whether they should intervene in the petition whether affidavit should be filed etc and we were very happy that people actually came around and um, they were supportive of the petition the people and groups at these meetings had traveled at their own cost to be here and they wanted to know what actionable steps they could take one of the points they discussed was submitting affidavits an affidavit is a written statement that can be used as evidence in court because the petition was filed using a health and hiv argument medical affidavits were discussed and we actually had started drafting the affidavits of various people so we had mentioned the names of dr prakash kothari dr Cheshadri from Nimans Dr Mahendra Watsa Dr Chandorkar and you know the people who were actually involved in sexuality issues then there were testimonies by people who had been victimized by the law and we thought that how police were harassing gay men in public parks would be one of the other areas where affidavits could be prepared and then the violence against the sexuality minorities apart from gay men like kothis and other transgender groups When the Delhi High Court dismissed the petition and the appeal on locus standi there were discussions about how to proceed then the options were put forth uh, as what has to be done we could actually give up the case altogether go to the supreme court on uh, whether we could maintain the petition as the Delhi High Court had set it aside only on the maintainability and what is called standing for local standi there were three options really drop the case go to a high court in a different state or ask the supreme court to review the high court's dismissal and force them to hear the case my view was very clear that i think it's best to go to the supreme court the supreme court is conscious of pils the standing issue and we were likely to succeed in the supreme court anand was fairly confident that this would work because he felt that the delhi high court had wrongfully claimed locus standi India's system of public interest litigation where you could file a case on behalf of an aggrieved party meant that the Nas Foundation didn't have to be directly affected by the law. In Anand's view, the decision to throw the case out had been prompted by homophobia rather than proper process. But this was a risky move because if the Supreme Court also said, "No, you don't have standing," then the case would have come to a close. I mean, there's no higher court that you can appeal to. 
Anjali Gopalan, who filed the petition through NAS, was very aware of this risk. Uh, we were super worried about that. We were super worried about it. But we were lucky that they didn't do that. Thank God. Or whatever it is that one believes in. But uh, that was a huge worry at that point. But that was a decision we made after we had this consultation with the community. So it was a little bit of a risk. Because suppose that then ultimately one would have to go to parliament. And Anjali knew that parliament, where electoral votes counted and majoritarian will prevailed, would definitely not be sympathetic. I had a lot of faith in our judiciary. I felt that if anything at all, this was the only way to get this done. Luckily, the Supreme Court agreed with Naz and sent the case back to the Delhi High Court. It's around this time that things start to pick up a little bit of pace. In 2006, the National AIDS Control Organization, or NACO, filed its own affidavit in the case. Now, NACO is a government entity, but its affidavit was at odds with the government's stance. NACO said that Section 377 was a hindrance to HIV prevention efforts. Also in 2006, another party filed an intervention, but this time against the NAS Foundation. It was a former BJP politician, B.P. Singhal, whose argument was that homosexuality was against Indian morality and culture. And then, in November, Voices Against 377 entered the battle as an intervener. And a lot of people call this an important move. Because the kinds of affidavits and testimonies that Voices brought into the courtroom made the issue about more than just HIV prevention. They talked about the stigma and prejudice of being gay. Their solicitors on the case were the Bangalore-based Alternate Law Forum. Here's Arvind Narayan of ALF. So then that's how we got a range of affidavits by people who were against whom a 377 case was filed. It was Madhumita who was a person from Bangalore. Then who killed her subject to brutal rape in the, in the Bangalore context. Then uh, two lesbians who were picked up. So the solicitors were ALF, but the counsel appearing in court was Sham Devan. Now, if you're like me, you don't know much about the intricacies of the legal system and didn't realize those were different things. I asked Sham what that meant exactly. Wait, so you weren't the solicitor, you were the counsel? What, what's the difference between the two? So we have something for counsel who actually argue and present cases. And then you have the very difficult work of not just getting the client, but preparing all the documentation, etc., is done by, by his own admission, Sham is what you might call a hired gun. You may have all your research and affidavits in place, but when you actually have to make your case in court, you call in Sham. If you engage me for X, I appear for X. One of the points that Sham Devan caught on to in his legal strategy was this. Apart from locus standi, the court had also rejected the case because it was an academic pursuit a theoretical problem. So what had happened was that you had a Delhi High Court judgment which said, look, this is all theoretical, this is all without any foundation in terms of fact, and therefore we as a constitutional court are not going to spend our time discussing uh, theoretical issues, and therefore they tossed the case out. Sham Devan and Voices wanted to make sure that this wouldn't happen again that even though Nas was filing the petition, there would be a chance to hear from real people who had been affected by the law. But uh, when you hear an affidavit and a voice of a genuine person, 
and the stigma that he or she has encountered, or the pre- you know the prejudice which becomes a daily matter, then I think courts tend to look at it not just as exercise in a in a sort of a classroom, but something very real affecting real persons. I spoke with members of Voices in the Alternate Law Forum who talked about painstaking fact-finding missions, interviewing people who had been impacted by the law. It was a laborious process, but there was a really important strategy behind it. So that's that's how uh, that part of the story was developed, and it gave a new texture to the case, not just the provisions of law and the history and how other courts have dealt with the situations, but very real-life textures in the context of India. And outside of the courtroom, Voices Against 377 wanted to drive home a more nuanced point. If you remember the wording of Section 377, it forbade carnal intercourse against the order of nature. Jaya Sharma of Voices had this to say about the language. It was not only about judging this to be unnatural and wrong, but actually upholding what is considered to be natural and what is considered to be right. And which is basically one kind of desire, which is sex within marriage, uh, sex for procreation, to ensure that inheritance of private property can happen towards a certain kind of family in which men and women play certain fixed patriarchal roles, and also family, which is a unit, a part of a larger social construction, uh, which upholds caste and religion as identities. Because as we know, to maintain, for example, the caste system, you do require a man and a woman of the same caste coming together, producing a child of the same caste, etc., etc. So the way in which we saw sexuality was really not just in terms of LGBT, but recognizing that everybody who fell outside of this system posed a challenge and needed to be uh, punished. So basically what we had when we came together as voices, it was not just to say, oh, that we as LGBT people are normal and, and you know should be included in mainstream society, but actually to say that so many of us are not normal. So voices saw this as an issue that was about more than just gay men. It was about being told what normal was and then being expected to live a life under those constraints. And Voices was trying to claim that none of us were normal. We are flouting these uh, you know, social and sexual norms and we do not wish to be normal and we do not wish to be respectable in the way that society would, would have us be. Here's Madhu Mera again. So that was the scope of work. And within the courtroom, uh, the issue was to broaden it from what the NAS petition was, uh, which was essentially focusing on the public health concerns and how 377 was a huge obstacle to reaching out to MSM communities in HIV-AIDS prevention work. And like we've mentioned before, Voices was not just a coalition of LGBTQI people. It involved child's rights groups and women's groups, and this was important. I spoke with Professor Sumit Bodh, a Dalit activist. Another aspect of, uh, uh, a core aspect of Voices uh, petition is that of child rights, in which, uh, thanks to the involvement of Huck Center for Child Rights, a uh, position that the coalition was able to uh, bring to uh, the ongoing litigation uh, was that a child rights organization 
was uh, actively involved in the demand for decriminalization because until then they seemed to be at odds as if Section 377 was uh, something that was uh, especially protective of uh, children, of protecting children from child sexual abuse, and therefore the only protection that was available for was, was Section 377, and with the decriminalization or with this repeal of Section 377, there would be no protection. This rallying of groups was an attempt to address the point made by the government that the vast majority of Indians didn't care about homosexuality. So voices came together at a particular historical moment when there was, you know, the petition had been thrown out saying it's not affecting anybody and there's nobody aggrieved who's visible and the rest of the society doesn't really care about homosexuality. Now, it's important to note that there were other kinds of community mobilization happening besides these meetings. Jyoti Puri writes in her book that there were informal groups and even internet-based discussions, especially on this one Yahoo group called LGBT-India. The Voices intervention and the broader involvement from different community groups made the Nas case bigger. The discussions got richer and more complicated. There were many heated arguments. Here's Anjali reminiscing about those community meetings. Whether we should go to the Supreme Court at all or not, there was a lot of discussion. When I say heated arguments, it was more around discussions. Discussions which were very passionate, let's put it that way, around whether we should or not. So that give and take was there always. Because it was all of us trying to figure out what the next steps should be, right? So it's not like any of us had the answer. So also we wanted a buy-in from the community to see what they were feeling and what they felt would work and not work. Because that is very critical when you're doing any kind of this kind of work. It's very important that the voices that are affected directly, their voices are heard or are part of this process. So yeah, I, I think that whole process was a very great process of learning for all of us. And here's Anand. How should I put it? We didn't get on with each other at times. I mean, I was open all the time, so. But there were some problems at times. And you have to realize that in any dynamic process, you will have conflicts. But we stuck it on because we just believed in what we were doing and we thought we were doing the right thing. And the, we were intimately relating to the people also. And you know, so it was quite a hard for battle over a period of time. Again, there were and continue to be criticisms of Nas and the Lawyers Collective. So it wasn't all unanimous decisions and happy songs in the background. But there was also mobilization. Like Anand, Vivek Divan went through some of these meetings with me during a long chat. Yes, he is the brother of Sham Divan, the lawyer representing voices in court. And I think the reason I'm telling you all this is to give you a flavor of actually what this case was. This case was actually a series of meetings across the country with sometimes 70 people in the room, sometimes 15. I put up the minutes of all these meetings on Orinam. You might have and at these meetings, discussions weren't just centered around strategy and the way forward. It was also about getting a better understanding of the opposition. Yes, there were various government bodies, but there were also other interveners. The ex-BJP politician BP Singhal. Here's him talking on the Karan Thapar show in 2008. It is illegal, it's criminalized. Yes, it is, has to be. So then because people that can is a be held to ransom when they do it. That has stopped this immorality. But what you have to recognize that it is immoral because man or woman will be designed for a particular way of conducting sex. Who told and you that? Man, Who told you that? The whole planet! 
Who told you where the pairing is? Did God have a private word in your ear and tell you BP single eye design line over each other? It is not God who spoke to me in my ear. It is the planet that is showing me a pairing of millions. And there was also an organization called Joint Action Council Kannur, Jack India. Then people wanted to know the legal process. Uh, I told them that the replies had been filed by Jack and Union of India. And Jack made all sorts of allegations against NAS. And their main point was that HIV is not caused. 377 and HIV has no relationship with each other. Journalist Shivam Vij spoke with Mr. B.P. Singhal and Purushottaman Mulloli, the founder of Jack India. Very funnily, for someone opposing homosexuality, his organization was called Jack India. Mr. B.P. Singhal passed away in 2012. So I caught up with Shivam to understand the core of his arguments. He could use any argument possible, but the main thrust was openly to makkarona. That is basically what he was saying. And that conversation at the politician's Noida apartment was, in Shivam's view, one of the most interesting ones of his career. If you, if you want, I can speak a little, little, little bit about the lubricants. BP Single goes in great detail about uh, anal sex. That's next week. Thanks to Anand Grover and Vivek Devan for providing us with the minutes of community consultation meetings. These minutes were read out for us by Ishan Archinta. You can find more information, including details about Dr. Jyoti Puri's book, on our website at allthingssmall.in forward slash 377. 377 is a production of ATS Studio, a division of All Things Small. This episode was hosted by me, Sindhuri Nandakumar, and written by me and Ashim De Silva, who also produced the show. Script supervision is by Devaya Bopanna and Archana Nathan, with editorial input from Siddhin Varikut and Supriya Nair. The music and sound design is by Madhav Ayachit, and the episode is mixed and mastered by Ankit Suryakant. Our executive producer is Gaurav Vaz. Our legal consultant is Amshula Prakash, we received administrative support from Anushka Mukherjee. All clips and voices used in this podcast are owned by their original creators. You can find more information about this episode and our show notes at allthingssmall.in 377.